Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of The Becoming by 90% Hoops. Today we have a very special guest. This is Coach Charlie Walrap and he's going to be here to talk about his journey of becoming a coach and just sharing his knowledge of everything that he's learned along the way. So first of all, just want to thank Coach for, for joining our podcast today. Uh, it's, it's an honor to have him on, and I think everybody that's listening to this will definitely be able to learn something new and just further their knowledge about the game of basketball. So to get things started, um, you know, I was, as I was looking through you know, your bio, some of the things that you've done, everywhere you've gone, you, you've won, you've had some success. And so my question is, what, it, what is it about you that makes you a winner? Well, uh, as, a, as a coach, having good players certainly helps. I've been lucky to coach a lot of good players. Um, the, the previous schools that I've been at, though, we've, we've showed up and they've been not very successful. So um, a, a big part of those turnarounds have been instilling toughness, uh, instilling a work, that work ethic into all the players. Um, you know, when people are losing a lot, <laughs> there's usually a reason for it. Um, so it's, uh, it comes, you know, we try to change toughness and effort and work ethic and, um, you know, and, and recruit some good players to help you uh, help you win some games too because you gotta got to put the ball in the hole, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think one thing that's great about the game of basketball is that there's always one winner and there's always a loser. And it's the same <laughs> thing in life. So just talk about the difference between winners and losers in life. Yeah, you're, you're throwing the, the tough questions at me right away. I like it. Um, That's what we do here. So, yeah. No, uh, go, I think going back to that um, work ethic piece, um, you know, I, you got to work for everything that you get, that you get in life. Um, we all can't be lucky and, and uh, have big-time connections or ends uh, to, to get things handed to us. So you, you really got to work for, for what you want and what um, – just got to put in the, the time and the hours. Um, so for me, even as going back to my playing playing career, um, my freshman year of high school, I made the freshman B team. Um, so I wasn't even in the top 75 players in my high school when I was a freshman there. And uh, worked and worked and got better and better. And by the time I was a senior, I was first team All-State. Um, and then got my college paid for for free. So. Um, took a lot of effort to get there, but then once you get to college, there's there's more effort you got to do to become great there. Um, so I had an up and down freshman year, as most freshmen do, and then ended up having a great college career and, and, and won our conference my senior year and made the Sweet 16. And uh, yeah, from there, I was lucky enough to go play in England for a year. So um, all those hours of, of work added up to me getting that opportunity to play overseas. and. Um, you know, you just stack those hours and hours as a coach even to, to put me where I am today. So um, you just got to, you know, that Roy Williams said, uh, if you want to beat people, sweat more. So, uh, you know, I, I, I try to live by that. Yeah, I love that. Great quote there from, uh, from Roy Williams. Um, so we'll get into your playing career in a little bit here. Um, but was being a coach something that you had interest in, you know, when you were in high school and college? Was that something that you knew? you would get into once your playing days were over? You know, not not really. Um, my goal is honestly always to play 
overseas. That was kind of what I was searching for. Uh, I, I identified as a basketball player. That was what I looked at myself as. Um, you know, and then when I was in England, got kind of burnt out from playing. Um, most players have that happen to them at some point, whether it's in college or 10 years into their pro career or in high school even. So um, for me, it happened my first year over there. And, um, you know, I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do. And um, I'd always been around basketball. That, Like I said, I had, I had uh, identified as a basketball player. So figured I'd find a small coach. And, um, I uh, was lucky enough to have uh, Coach Munson from the head coach at Kansas Wesleyan hire me as his, uh, his assistant out there um, and uh, went there and had a great experience and loved it in my two years there and I have a lot to, to thank to Coach Munson for that um, and since it went well I was lucky enough to just keep making steps in the business so um, yeah I think just, just since I love basketball and being around it is, is why I became a coach. Yeah, so for someone to be at the position that you're in, you know, you have to be passionate about what you do. So what was that moment where your interest for coaching became a passion, when you truly became passionate about being a coach? Sure. Um, so my second year at Kansas Wesleyan, um, we had a, a, a great year, finished third in our conference, which was the best finish in a long time there. Um, and then during that season, we actually swept uh, the conference champion, and uh, they were ranked in the top 10 both times. We played and we beat them both times. So, you know, those wins were fun. The, the, the wins were a ton of fun. Um, at Clark, my two years there, we had a lot of great wins too. Um, so the wins kind of make all the work worth it, but also I would say the relationships. Um, you know, I tell our guys all the time, I want to be invited to um, their wedding one day, because that means I, I impacted them, not just on the court, but off the court as well. Um, you know, I've been, I've been, uh, been invited to a few of them so far. Um, that's really fun when you get that invitation in the mail. So. Um, you know, it's, it's all about relationships and, and getting to know your guys and, and caring about them. And, um, you know, if you're not, if, if, if you're in coaching and you're not about relationships, um, I think you're doing it the wrong way. Yeah, no, I agree. The relationships are going to last a lot longer than, you know, the skills that you, that you build as you play. Um, you know, cause you're not really going to remember how many points you averaged or, you know, how many games you've won, but you'll always remember those connections and those relationships that you made along the way. Um, so I just want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, you know, how you started off on the freshman B team as a freshman, and then you ended up working your way to being, you know, one of the best players in the state. So what was your motivation during that time? And how do you think you were able to separate yourself from everybody else? Because that's a big jump to go from Sure. Not even top seventy in your in your school to being <laughs> one of the the top players in the state. Yeah, well, uh, I grew from six one to six six, so I guess that that helped a little bit. Uh, the height helped some, um, but I, I there was a I had some people that that doubted me and didn't believe in me, and uh, I used that as motivation to work and get better. Um, I, I love it. I love having doubters, honestly. Uh, I think it's a good thing to have them because then you can use that as motivation, kind of like I said. Um, and you just, there's no substitute for work. 
no substitute for work, man. Um, my parents were great too. My mom would get up with me at 4.30 in the morning and, and uh, drive to the gym so I could get a workout in and before school. Um, and I would do stuff after school as well. Um, so it's it's just time and effort. You, and you, you got to know what you're doing too and actually work while you're in the gym. You know, there's some guys that go and maybe shoot a few, a few buckets and go look at their phone for a few minutes and kind of go back and forth and don't really get anything done. But you got to go and actually work when you're there. Yeah, when you're working, you got to make sure that you're you're going hard because nowadays it's like water breaks have been replaced by checking the phone and you know seeing your notifications. So that's one one of the biggest differences with like this generation. Um, but just going back to to something that you had mentioned about how you were driven by the doubters, um, it seems like we're far more motivated as humans when people doubt us rather than when people support us. So why do you think that is? Why do you think we are, are more motivated by the ones that hate on us and tell us that we can or that we can do something rather than the ones that believe in us? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Thank you. You know, for, for me personally, I guess, just the joy of proving them wrong and, and and knowing that you worked to gain something, um, you know, that's that, that cliche quote, it's about the journey. So I don't know, it's kind of, that journey is, is cool and fun going from being doubted to then proving yourself and not having anyone be able to doubt you, I guess. So um, maybe it's just that whole process is kind of, is worth it to go through and improve yourself and, and uh, put yourself to, to uh, those people yeah no I couldn't couldn't agree more with that um, so you have a, a successful college career you know good enough to where you have the opportunity to go play overseas and you played in England so just kind of talk about how that opportunity came about and what your experience was like playing in England sure sure so for me, actually, I, I finished my senior year of college um, and signed with an agent. And then uh, my agent did not, he was not a great agent, didn't do a great job for me, didn't find me a contract or anything right away. Um, so I actually went and coached at a prep school in Florida for a year. Um, and while I was in Florida, I found this opportunity in England. And um, yeah, it was uh, a chance to go play in a minor league over there, um, but also have a year of. Uh, going to grad school. Um, so that the combination of those two things was um, just a great, great opportunity. Um, like I said, it was my, my dream, my goal to go go over there and play and um, was able to go do it and have a ton of fun. And um, the league we played in was just uh, all over England. So I got to travel there and um, you know, got to travel throughout Europe at different times too. So um, if anybody has an opportunity to do something like that, I would, greatly encouraged them to do so. And how did your time in England prepare you for becoming a coach? Yeah, so I think any any basketball season you go through, you learn more and more. So, you know, I was over there, we played about 45 games. Um, so 45 more games of experience and seeing what happens in games and being around an entirely, in a, a entirely different group of people as my teammates, being around a different head coach and learning from him. Um, you know, I had a teammate that uh, 
played at Stanford and, and I believe was the sixth man at Stanford the year that they made the Sweet 16 and beat Andrew Wiggins in the NCAA tournament. So I became really good friends with him and got to pick his brain about playing for Johnny Dawkins and things like that. Um, you know, any season you go through, you just learn more and more. Just playing, even playing uh, with the 24 second shot clock, playing with the international three point line. Because when I was in college in 2014, we still had the old high school line, um, not the new college international line right now. So um, that was an adjustment as well. So um, yeah, I learned a ton by being over there around around an entirely new team and new level of basketball and new opponents. So. Um, yeah, it really helped prepare me for a coach, just having that experience. Yeah, and what's something that people may not understand about playing overseas, whether it's, you know, a lot of traveling or, you know, what's something that, because I think everybody wants to play overseas, you know, if they can't play somewhere here in the USA, what's something that, for those who may want to play overseas, something that they may not understand, um, something that will help them when they when they try to get that opportunity. Sure. Well, first, it's really hard to find an opportunity. So we have two players here from Northern Michigan uh, that, gra that graduated this past year that are trying to find opportunities, and um, I think both are definitely good enough to have something. And, and for whatever reason, it's just not popping right now. Now it might happen here in a few weeks. It might happen next year. You kind of never know when it's going to happen. Um, but it's really, really difficult to find an opportunity. And, you know, you have to go over there normally, and uh, especially if you played at a lower level college basketball, or small college basketball, D2, D3, NAI, um, you gotta kind of go over there and prove yourself and maybe play in a lower league that might not pay you a lot of money. Um, you know, and, and if you go over there and you don't play well, you might get sent back after a few weeks too. So, um, you know, you just got to prepare yourself um, to first be ready for the opportunity if it does come, because you have to play well, because there are some teams and leagues that'll just kick you out if you're not performing and scoring. Because um, a lot of those leagues have import rules where they might only be allowed one American or two Americans or three Americans on the team. And some leagues even have similar rules where they only have, can have one American on their court at a time. Um, so you have to be a stud to be an American over the, uh, to play over there. Um, yeah, it's, it's just tough to find a spot, though, because so many people are trying to do it. And it's about fit, too. Um, one team might be looking for a point guard. One team might be looking for a big guy. Um, you know, it's, it's about fit for that as well. And what did you see was the biggest difference in terms of style of play between playing in England versus playing here in America? Sure. So my college team, we had really good chemistry and, and shared the ball really well. And when I played in college, we actually had a 35 second shot clock still. So we kind of played like Wisconsin slow and grind it out and work for a great shot. Um, so we, we played really, really well together. But when I went to England, the 24 second shot clock and a bunch of new guys on a team, um, you gotta play faster, and uh, you know you just kind of take the first available good shot to you versus um, trying to find that best shot. Um, you know, I don't know if that was necessarily the right way to do things, but that's just kind of how it was. Um, big difference too for me was um, kind of changing positions. I played the four in college, kind of an inside-out four man, and then overseas I played. Uh, 
the wing two or three, you can play a little point guard too. So, um, you know, it's adjusting to that different position in, in a new system. And um, with the three-point line being further uh, for me when I started playing out there, you know, you got it. You got to shoot it. You got it. You got to shoot it if you're open. Um, if you don't shoot it, teams will just sag and, and uh, you're a liability offensively. So you got to shoot it if you have space to. Um, and then when teams close out to you, then you can drive and, and make plays in the play and things like that. So, um, but yeah, certainly the, the pace uh, going from 35 second shot clock to 24 was a big adjustment. Yeah, I could definitely see how that shot clock makes a, a big difference. You know, 11 seconds, you don't really think about it being that mm -hmm. much, but it's definitely uh, definitely makes a big difference, especially over the course of you know an entire game. Um, so I just want to go back for a second to something that you touched on a little bit earlier. Um, before you went to go play overseas, you spent some time at a prep school in Florida, um, West Oaks Academy, I believe. Um, so I just wanted you to talk about your experience there because um, the whole prep school thing is, is very interesting to me. It mm -hmm. seems like every day there's a new prep school popping up and <laughs> more and more kids seems like are going to these prep schools. Um, so my first question is, was it a real school? <laughs> uh, so yes, West Sucks Academy is a real school. Um, it was certainly an interesting setup though. Um, you know, I. It wasn't like an IMG or anything, which is uh, has all the bells and whistles and everything. It was not like that at all. Um, for, firstly, I worked for uh, actually the winningest prep coach of all time, Chris Cheney, who was really good to me. Learned a lot from him as a coach. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting environment there. Where there were, I don't know, I feel like we had around 60, 70, 80 kids, and uh, we lived in an apartment complex. And uh, yeah, the uh, if you were postgraduate, you uh, you know it's kind of basketball was the main thing on the docket every day. You're trying to better yourself uh, through the weight room, through on the court skills, through open gym. You know we'd have a lot of games, things like that. Um, if there was a high school attached to it, so uh, if you were in high school, you went to class throughout the day, and then after that uh, had practice. Um, you know, like normal high schoolers do. Um, but the postgraduate stuff was was certainly <laughs> certainly interesting. Um, you know, kids were there for multiple reasons. Um, you know, so every, everyone's motivation was different. So, um, but the main thing was trying to find a scholarship for each of those kids. Um, I would certainly recommend if somebody has an opportunity to go to college out of high school versus prep school, I would go to college a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, but if you don't have the opportunity to play in college, prep school can can be a viable option if you have no other opportunities available to you, especially with the, you know, the transfer portal nowadays and the fifth year of eligibility due to the COVID year. Um, there's just not as many scholarships out there as there, as there used to be. So um, can fully understand if someone went that route right now. Yeah, and why do you think so many kids are going to prep schools? I was looking at the uh, ESPN top 100 list the other day. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of those kids are going to some prep school, something, something academy. Sure. Like there's very, very few kids who are going to like, you know, your local high school or even like your local private school. Um, sure. sure. I feel like it's gonna, the like the bubble's gonna burst here in a few years, where I think we'll see kids starting to go back to more, 
more real schools, I guess you could say. Um, sure. But why do you think so many, like the prep school route has become so popular, especially in the last few years? Sure. Well, some of the really, really good ones, you know, La, La Lumiere, IMG I brought up earlier, there's a lot in the Northeast that are really good, actually. Um, so it, it affords some of those players opportunities to play against really high-profile players in practice and get better that way. Um, and then you're able also to play um, some national opponents and nationally recognized games. Um, you know, the ones that you see on ESPN all the time, Montford and things like that, Ben Simmons played at Montford. Um, you know, so it gives you some opportunities there to be, to try and try and get better that way, get coached by, uh, uh, you know, those coaches are full-time basketball coaches a lot of time with those prep schools. Prep schools. Um, so for some people it is, it is a, a good option to improve and get better and get your recruiting boosted, things like that. Um, but I agree with you, the local high school thing, you know, being around your family, your friends you grew up with, uh, is certainly something uh, a lot more special. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like, there's just not as much pride, I think, that's involved when you're playing for these schools that, you know, are only centered around basketball. Um, so after your playing career, you know, you, 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 you get your first coaching opportunity. Just talk to us about how that came about and uh, what are some of the things that you maybe didn't expect in that first year as being a coach? Sure. Yeah, so it's a lot different being a coach than a player, and uh, it took me a while to adjust to that. Um, but like I said earlier, Coach Munson um, hired me at Kansas Wesleyan, and he was an assistant at Tabor College in Kansas, and we had played against him a few times when I was a player, so he knew of me that way. And, um, yeah, brought me on to, to come in and help him turn that program around, and um, that uh, so we took over a program that just won seven games the year before. So um, you know, trying to build that toughness and effort mindset was kind of our main motivating factor to try and turn that place around. And we almost doubled the wins in one year to, to 13 wins. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of things that I maybe didn't know would be a part of coaching that were, um, you know, just the day-to-day -day stuff of, uh, you know, organization and administrative type things that you don't think about, um, but also doing workouts all the time throughout the day with the guys and practices and conditioning and lifts and, um, you know, at small college basketball as a coach, you got to wear a lot of hats and do a lot of different things. So. Um, Coach Munson did a great job just kind of throwing me in the fire, and I think that was the best way for me to learn. And um, yeah, I certainly learned a ton there in my, my first year as a coach. And then um, every year you just get better and better. Um, for me, maybe the hardest thing initially as a coach was re recruiting and knowing how to do that just because I'd never done it before. You know, I'd, I'd been through workouts as a player, so I could do some things with the, with the players that I had done. Um, but uh, yeah, recruiting was an entirely new animal that I wasn't used to yet. Yeah, so you mentioned trying to turn the program around by instilling that 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 mindset, that toughness. Um, so what's the first step that you're taking in order to do that and to kind of shift the culture to a more winning mindset? What's the first thing that you're doing to try to accomplish that? Sure, the first thing is, uh, you know, preseason conditioning and workouts and lifting, making them hard making the guys not only physically tougher, but mentally tougher as well. 
Um, that was the first thing we did. Then, uh, you know, we made defense their priority. Um, you know, if you, if you were going to guard, you were going to play. So, and to do that, you had to play the guys that played the hardest as well. So we played the guys that played the hardest that were also able to defend. Um, you know, that went back to that preseason conditioning, uh, lifting, and workouts, just, just making it tough. And, um, you know, we played a lot of guys. We played 10, 11, 12 guys, a lot of games. Um, you know, we'd like to keep guys fresh that first that first year and, and uh, um, you know, make, make defense that priority, like I said. Yeah, and, you know, you talked about how you wanted to make your players more mentally tough. And what does mental toughness mean to you? Like, what, when you see a player that has mental toughness, what does that look like? Sure, I, I think it's being able to respond to adversity. You know, we all we all go through adversity. Every player goes through adversity in some way, shape, or form. Every person goes through adversity. Um, but what makes the, the ones that get through that different are, are the ones that respond to it and get better by it and work through that. Um, so I, I certainly think uh, responding to adversity in the right way um, is, is the best thing. Uh, it's the best thing for those guys to do. Yeah, absolutely. Men, you know, I always talk about how, um, you know, in basketball, there's there's so many things that you can't control, right? Whether it's the officials or who's playing on the other team, but being mentally tough is just being able to focus on what you can control. And you know, adversity is inevitable in basketball. It's going to happen where you're missing shots, you're turning the ball over, the other team goes on a big run. But it's not about avoiding all of that. It's about how are you going to be able to respond? And so I think you, you really hit it right on the right on the head there. Um, so just talk about your next opportunity that you had, um, you know, after you, you left there. Um, what was the biggest factor in, you know, getting that next opportunity for you? And sure, why did you sure. want to leave the, the place that you were at? Sure. So, uh, yeah, I moved on to Clark University. Um, you know, just it was an opportunity that came up. I, I, uh, I played in the same conference that Clark was in, uh, the Heart of America Athletic Conference, so I was really familiar with it. Um, knew some other people connected to, to Coach Blaine, the head coach there. Um, you know, it was, a play, it was a chance to move to, move to a, a really cool community on the Mississippi River, Dubuque, Iowa. It was a really fun college town, fun place to live. Um, place where I met my now wife, so it was it was worth the move to go there. Um, but uh, but yeah, I wanted to get back into that that conference that I had played in, and um, you know prove something to those coaches in that league league that I could coach as well, um, and help turn another place around. Clark hadn't been great, um, so I kind of had somewhat of a blueprint to help help Coach Blaine uh, turn it around there. Um, so yeah, Coach Blaine was lucky enough to, to give me the opportunity, and I accepted it. And um, yeah, headed headed on to, to Clark and Dubuque for a couple of years. And um, you know, we uh, had the best year in school history my second year there. Um, Twenty four nine made the national tournament. Unfortunately, that was the COVID year, so we didn't play uh, in the tournament. It got canceled right the day after our selection show, actually, which is uh, interesting. Um, but certainly there was a lot of pride um, turning that place around and, and having such a great year. Um, 
and like like I touched on earlier, we had a lot of good players to help to help uh, turn that around as well. There were there were some guys that, that really wanted to win there, which was fun. You know, being an assistant coach, you know, I'm sure you know you've kind of talked about it, but recruiting is a big part of your responsibilities, and so for someone that has no or someone that didn't have any experience recruiting, how do you go about making those connections and finding the talent that you feel like can play at that level? What are you doing to establish yourself as a recruiter for someone that has no experience doing it? Sure, yeah, it's, you know, it's talking to AAU coaches, talking to high school coaches, talking to junior college coaches. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to meet people in the industry. Industry One of, one of the ways to do that is going to work camps. You can meet other coaches that, uh, that coach AU, JUCO, or, or high school at camps. That's a good way to do it. I've met a lot of my friends that way. Um, but it's building those connections and also being a really good evaluator. So understanding what fits um, your league, what fits your level, what fits your, your head coach, um, what fits your system offensively and defensively. So you have to be a really good, you have to evaluate a lot. Um, does, does the kid have high character? Does he have good grades? Does he work hard? Um, is he going to be a good teammate? Does he come from a good family? There's a lot that goes into recruiting, so you're evaluating all those things and, and uh, eventually thinking, is he going to be a good fit for you? Um, and then are you a good fit for them? You know, does the school offer uh, what the student athlete eventually wants? Um, so yeah, there's a lot to go to recruit with that goes along with recruiting. For us here at Northern, we recruit players for at least a year normally, getting to know them um, and hopefully having them commit after that year. Um, you know, sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer, but um, that's been our normal range here. Um, so yeah, evaluation and uh, connections, um, building those connections, just talking to people, talking to people is huge, would, would probably be two of the bigger things I would say that go into recruiting. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, you've, you've had a lot of times where you spent time recruiting a kid and, you know, he didn't end up going to your school. Um, you know, how is that is that like a really frustrating thing when you spend a lot of time getting to know a kid and then they don't end up going to your school? And, you know, what's kind of a way that you can tell this kid is really interested or this kid's just, you know, kind of showing interest, but we don't really think that he's going to commit to our school you know what are some of the ways that you can tell between those sure so yeah first the uh putting the putting a lot of time in and having them not come is definitely frustrating you know you can put a lot of hours and minutes in recruiting someone and then ultimately see no fruits of your labor um so that's that's really frustrating it's one of the things i like the least about the coaching business um you know if if a player, you know, as far as knowing if he's going to come to your school or not, or is thinking of a chance, um, you know, seeing what other offers they have. Do they have offers from uh, higher level programs, better schools, schools closer to home? You know, we pretty much only recruit some people from um, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois. Um, we just had a commitment from a player from Indiana, but we don't, don't normally recruit down there. Um, so it's just only your reach. We don't really look outside of our region for recruiting either. Um, you know, if, if players are, aren't responsive to texts or calls or, you know, they just don't seem that interested, that'd be another way uh, to show just to kind of lay off. 
Um, but yeah, those, those would be some things that I would say. Uh, you could tell um, it's not worth the time to recruit them. Now I want to give you the opportunity to kind of rep your area, rep your region, the Midwest. Because um, personally, I feel like the Midwest has the least amount of talent uh, in the U.S. I'm an East Coast guy, so I think it's probably East Coast, West Coast, down South, then Midwest. And so I just want you to kind of argue with me on that a little bit and tell sure. me why I'm wrong. Sure. Well, uh, first I'll start with the biggest city, Chicago. Chicago has a lot of really good basketball. Um, it's nationally recruited. Um, there's kids all over that area. You could throw a rock and hit anybody. There's a lot of good players in Chicago. Um, also, each state just had a ton of good players. So I'm from, I went to high school in Omaha. A lot of good players in that area uh, ended up playing in the, the, the summer league and things like that. You know, it seems like every every other year, South Coast State or North Coast State or someone is upsetting a team in the NCAA tournament. Um, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, Michigan, Iowa, uh, you know, Kansas, obviously. Uh, uh, Kansas City area's got a really good basketball. So um, there's a lot of good players around here. Um, I, I think we represent, our, represent ourselves well when we play on the national stage. and. Um, national tournaments, whether that's small college or D1. Um, I think Midwest basketball is, uh, is really good. So I, there's uh, certainly a lot of good players in the East Coast and West Coast and, and in Texas and things like that, but we, we've got good players here as well. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. Uh, I still think my, my ranking holds up, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll agree to, to disagree on that okay. one. Um, so I was looking at your, your Twitter. Um, you're obviously a Kansas fan. I, I'm a Duke fan. Okay. Uh, so I don't know if you remember the, the Elite Eight game back in 2018. Um, there was clearly, clearly a charge um, on, I think it was uh, Azabuki when he, they called a, a block on Wendell Carter. So how does it feel being a fan of a team that pays off the refs? Uh. Well, I just want to answer that question, but, uh, you know, ending Grayson Allen's college career was uh, very, very fun to watch. I'm glad that Kansas had the opportunity to do that. Uh, yeah, he, he almost he, made that shot, too. That he one did almost make out. that shot. I think there was some luck. There must have been a Jayhawk up on that rim bouncing it off or something. So that was uh, uh, a little lucky that ball didn't go in, but uh, that was fun to end, uh, end his career. And then... Uh, this year, I was actually at the Final Four, so I saw Kansas beat Villanova in person, and then uh, saw Coach K's last game against Carolina. So that was also fun to witness. So I'm, I'm sorry that you had to go through that this year. Yeah, we're we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> um, so just kind of kind of going back to you know who you are as a coach and. Um, you know, one thing that every successful team needs to have is, you know, where guys are playing together, guys are playing for each other. So what does it look like when a team is playing for each other? Sure. It's just, it's just a feeling kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, they're sharing the ball offensively. You can, you know, the vibe is right offensively and then defensively playing for each other. Everyone is busting their tail, working hard, talking. 
Um, it, it, it's a feeling out on the court. You just know when your team's connected or when it's not. Um, very, as a coach go, going through it, you, you know when your team's ready and, and wants to win together and when it just when it doesn't. Um, you know, like I said, the main ways to know that are if you're, they're sharing the ball offensively, being unselfish, and then defensively talking and, and working really hard, uh, trying to get stops and, and, and win. Um, so you've been to a few different colleges. Um, you know, you mentioned being at Clark and now you're at Northern Michigan. So when you're stepping into a new opportunity, how do you establish your authority as an assistant coach? Sure. So that, yeah, it's really hard. Um, I think uh, you have to, that, that first year is normally support and uh, it's been the hardest for me wherever I've been, just kind of fitting in with the head coach and seeing what they want, um, seeing how they want to play. Um, you know, it's it's uh, just finding your role within that program. Um, some coaches want their assistants to be loud and get angry and and uh, get after their guys, and some some head coaches want their assistants to be quiet and just kind of um, analyze and, and whisper to guys on the sideline, and that's how they coach. Um, you know, it, it just depends program to program um, how how you fit and find your role with that head coach with those players uh, and find your voice. So. Um, Every coach I've worked for has been different with that. Um, certainly as time goes on, you get more and more comfortable in that program with those players. And um, it, it takes time to build that, that trust, that relationship from head coach to assistant and, and between the players too. So, you know, heading into my third year here at Northern, um, there's a level of comfortability here in our program that's really good. I, I, know, I, I know all our, our incoming players really well because we've recruited for them for so long. I know coach, uh, coach really well because I worked with them for three years now coming up. Um, I know all of our returners, so that comfortability has certainly helped us uh, heading into this year. So one interesting thing about you is that you are the winner of a very prestigious award, the NABC 30 Under 30 Award. You were the winner, um, or one of the winners. Um, so just talk about how you were able to win that and what that award means to you. Yeah, I have no idea how I was, how I was able to win that, uh, honestly. Um, I, I guess coaching a lot of good players at Clark my second year there. So, you know, having the best season in school history certainly puts you on the map. Um, and, and I view that as, as an award for that team, not so much me personally. Um, that team worked really hard from day one. Uh, to accomplish our goals and, and, and uh, be really successful. And somehow I, I got an award out of it as well. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean a whole lot to me. It's just uh, uh, just something to throw on the resume. That's, it looks good on a resume, but it doesn't mean a whole lot to me other than that. Um, you know, because everything I've done in the past doesn't matter. It's just led me to this point. And, um, it's, it's, uh, this business is all about what have you done for me lately. So. Um, you know, we, we've got to try and uh, win this year, and, and that's that's what I'm really focused on. Would you consider yourself a rising star in the industry? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll uh, abstain from that question. Um, I don't think so. I'm, I'm just uh, you know a Division Two assistant. Uh, I'm just I'm just working hard where I am and um, trying, uh, like I said, trying trying to win this year and. 
um, you know, hopefully we can make an NCAA tournament here, and, and that's that's our goal right now. So we're we're working hard every day with our guys trying to get that done. Uh, he's being humble, folks. He's being <laughs> humble. We'll we'll see uh, Coach Charlie at, at the top of the the Division One level in in a couple years here. I believe that. Um, so a couple couple interesting things about you. Um, one, you you've written two novels. <laughs> so just want you to talk about how that came about and uh you actually you go under a, a pen name an alter ego i guess you could say <laughs> so just talk about your your alter ego ce morris and these two novels that you've wrote yeah that's that's kind of fun it's just a hobby on the side i do so ce morris um so my uh, middle name is elliot so charles elliot my initials and then my last name is technically morris Walrap. it's a long story but uh, I just go by Walrat Norris, my last name. So C. E. Morris is kind of a combining of, of my names. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a hobby I do on the side. Uh, uh, publish them through Amazon online. So um, you can go find them, find them online on Amazon. Um, the Blood of Aelin and The Rising Rage are the two books right now. Um, I'll probably finish book three in a year or two, and uh, that'll be the completion of my trilogy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just a fun thing I, I do on the side. Uh, you know, if you're worried about basketball 24/7, I don't think I don't know how good that is for you. Um, you know, pretty much September through March, I am basketball 24/7. You know, it's it's uh, work all the time for that. But in the off season, I you know I try and use some time to, to write and do some different things, just just uh, uh, get involved in my life in different ways. Um, I think it's good for your brain just to think about different things and and. Um, yeah, it's just it's the fun thing I do. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up and, and give, giving me the plug. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everybody who's listening to this, go check out his books on Amazon. Uh, get those numbers up. But definitely agree what you're saying about balance. You know, you got to have have something that takes your mind away from basketball for a little bit and just focus on something else. Um, so you also graduated with a 4.0. So my question is, how can dumb people like me get good grades yeah so that was a 4.0 in masters 3.5 in undergrad so um yeah it's, it's just uh focus focusing on work getting the work done paying attention to the, the syllabi um I, I think introducing yourself to the professor the teacher and getting to know them that helps a lot um but just staying on top of the work and knowing what finding out what the professor or teacher wants um, in, in working hard at it, you know, some people just kind of go through the motions with school. I tell, I talked about this with, the, I talk about this with our players. Um, you know, don't just go through the motions. Just do as good as you can. You'll be prouder of yourself when you did. Your parents will be prouder of you. Your coaches will be prouder of you. You'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel more confident if you work to get a higher grade um, than if you didn't. Um, you know, so just just try to do as well and you as well uh, as you can in school. Don't don't uh, coast through it. Um, you know, if as good as you can as a, a three point one in a and you have a really tough semester, that's awesome. You know, if it, just do the best you can. The best is different for all of us, um, but try and do your best. So, do you think that you got some special treatment, or you had it easier because you were a basketball player? And do you encourage your players to take advantage of the fact that they're basketball players <laughs> so that they can uh, have it a little bit easier with their academics? 
Sure. I, I don't think I got it easier. Uh, Benedictine College, my undergrad, was didn't view, it, view us uh, really as uh, any different than normal students. Um, one thing I will learn is that it, uh, and there's been studies on this, athletes are much better with their time management. So I think, uh, you know, because you ha only have a certain amount of time uh, that you can work on school versus normal students have so much time so sometimes they can get lost in other things. Um, but I, 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 being a student athlete certainly helps with time management. Um, and I think that's that's where it helped me the most. Yeah, no, time management is huge. You know, you got to be able to focus on one thing at a time. Um, you know, if you're working, then put all your focus on working. And if you're chilling, put all your focus on chilling. So you just got to take it one one thing at a time. For sure. Uh, well, this has been great. You know, I really love this, this conversation. Um, we're just kind of wrapping it up here a little bit with a segment that we like to play, a fun segment called Explain That Tweet. Um, you didn't have a lot of tweets or a lot of interesting tweets, no offense, um, but there was one here that, that caught my eye. So you mentioned being able to evaluate talent, and I'm going to have to question your, your talent evaluation with one of, one of these tweets here. So you talk about Chol Marial, and uh, you said no doubt he will be in the league one day. Crazy potential. and. I haven't seen him in the league yet, so just kind of talk about about that. Yeah, so Joel was a really nice kid, actually, that I coached at West Oaks. Um, so that's uh, okay. where that that's where that tweet came from, from uh, me being uh, having a personal relationship with him. I don't I can't even remember that I tweeted that. That's funny that you dug that up and found that 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 must have been from a while ago. Um, but as as a, a young player, man, he just he had so much potential. I'm not sure what he's doing now, um, but he was like 7'2", seven, 7'3", seven, and uh, so long, and could dunk it, and shoot it, and block shots. And um, it was actually funny when he was uh, at West Oaks. Um, I, I played again one on one against him. I did beat him in one on one. I, I was I was pretty good at that time, but that was kind of a, a fun thing we did. Um, but. Uh, I think he got on scholarship at Maryland. I'm not sure what he's doing now, so I'm uh, trying to try find what Joel's up to. But, um, yeah, that was just from having a fun personal relationship with, with Joel and trying to show some belief in him. So, um, yeah, he, pro he probably won't wind up in the league, it's looking like, I guess, now. But, uh, um, but yeah, I just was trying to support my guys. So No, you got to support them. I love yeah. that. Even if you know that maybe they don't have it, you got to support and <laughs> give them that confidence anyways. Um, so my last question is just kind of about, uh, you know, what a typical off season looks like for you. You know, uh, you know, you mentioned how your season's coming up here in a couple of months, but what are your main responsibilities from, say, like April through October where you're not really in season? Yeah, so recruiting is a huge portion of that. Um, you know, summer is full of recruiting, going to AAU tournaments, going to high school tournaments, having uh, official, unofficial visits on campus with players and their parents. Um, also off-season workouts. So right now we're doing workouts throughout the week. Uh, NCAA allows us four hours of on-court work, so we're using those up. Um, uh, you know, showing up to our guys, lift, lifting and conditioning workouts too. Um, you know, so recruiting. Uh, in the summers, um, you know, we're having a couple of uh, official visits, visits as well, back to back, back to back weekends coming up, up here too. Um, 
So those, those would be the big things that we focused on uh, out of the season. And then also writing my books, of course. <laughs> All right, well, this has been awesome. Really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join the Becoming and sharing your journey, dropping some knowledge, dropping some wisdom for everybody. And for everybody listening to this, go check out his books on Amazon, C.E. Morris, the next the next great writer and great basketball coach. So he's doing it all, folks. <laughs> I don't know about that, but, uh, yeah, certainly appreciate you inviting me on. And, um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, too, and working hard. This is great for people to listen to and hear different stories and, and uh yeah thanks thanks for having me this is a great experience appreciate that